I tried to, but you were right on it, man. Okay, all right. So, hey, uh, we've got a great episode today. And uh, before we obviously get into that, how are you? I am good, sir. And how do you do? I'm doing good. Uh, I'm wearing the Raymond Alf Museum T-shirt that our previous guest, Gabe Santos, gave us because I'm going to their grand opening when they reopen after the pandemic. On the very first day they reopen. And uh, so that's going to be awesome. I snagged some tickets and a time slot in the morning, and I've never been. I was on Fossil Friday the other day with Gabe, and I, I... I told him about you wanting, so you know I helped arrange that. Oh well, thank you, thank you, Ray. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Thank you, Ray. Yeah, well, I you just know, reminded I did, him. I reminded him per your request. So I did get you first in line at the STD clinic when you needed that. Remember that? <laughs> the standard training, uh, whatever. All right. Discipline. Yeah. Yeah, discipline. Anyway, um, so you texted me a picture that uh, I've seen many times before when I lived in Ketchikan, uh, and it's a bunch of. Your garbage. Why would you text me a picture of your garbage strewn out on your... Don't you know that there are bins to put it in, Ray? Well, the thing is, David, it's actually not my garbage. It's the neighbor's garbage because we take care of our garbage here. And... And, you know, I mean, the bears are back, dude. So the bear bear drug that up into our yard this morning. Look out this morning. Ah! There it is. But yeah, we're always trying to find out which neighbor it is. So we looked through, the, this neighbor was drinking vodka and um, had some chicken bones in wait there. Wait, 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 hold shrimp. on. The beer was drinking, the bear was no. drinking vodka? Well, actually, the, the bear did lick out the vodka bottle. But bears, it turns out, they really, really love mayonnaise because the uh, mayonnaise jar was thoroughly licked out. And anyways, the bear. Okay, so, so this, we, is, we uh, this our, is the black bear. Okay, it's a black bear. In yeah. Ketchikan, on the big, huge island of Ravilla, Hejedo. You say Gagato. I say Hejedo. I what say is Ravilla. It? I say Ravilla. So. Oh, just Ravilla for short. Ravilla. There are black bears. There are no brown bears, grizzly bears. But the black bear is what? The Ursus Americanus? Something that's like right, that? sir. You got it. Yeah. Okay, that's it. From memory. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I, I, I didn't have time to Google that one. Do they hibernate in the Ketchikan during the winter? Is it that cold? Is it get cold enough that they yeah, go actually, away? Yeah, you know, and uh, they they go into torpor. Or they go, they sleep in the woods, and then they torpor, you know, kind of, torpor, well, torpor. Like you know, sometimes your eyes glaze is over. Is that a word? It, is that a word of? Dude, you don't know that word. It sounds very familiar. <laughs> That's <laughs> torpor right there. You know. Oh. Yeah, they go into hibernation. They hibernate. They go into deep, deep sleep. And, you know, that made me realize something about my ravens that I've been missing so dearly. Oh, right. You know, they they disappeared on me. You know, come March, they were, like, occupied with other things. And then I realized just yesterday when I was walking through town, and I could still hardly see any ravens around, I realized, wait, it's because the entire landscape has become has come alive, right? Okay. There's a thing called a seasons, and actually, I realized, and then I saw a little robin over there, and I realized, wait a minute, there's a big source of protein that just arrived in town. That's why they don't care about me and my peanuts. You mean the bait fish? You mean the the, the herring arrive and the and well, I'm thinking about eggs. I'm thinking about baby robins and ravens like to raid those nests. Okay, that's and, right. They they do. And there's raid. hummingbirds and there's you know there's sparrows that come and the and there's bugs that come alive and like they don't need me anymore. It's a season. Yeah. And then the bears wake up 
and they drag yeah. the neighbor's garbage into my yard because right, I do right. the responsible thing. And that bear that's rummaging through the the, uh, the neighbor's stuff is probably going to die because after a while, because it's a problem bear. Because of all the human crap that he ate. Yeah, that's and, so sad. Well, it's not just the human crap. Somebody's, the fish and game will have to come out and shoot him, you know, because... What? What? They don't relocate them. They come right back. And if this oh, bear right. becomes so habituated that so he's going to be happens. a repeat offender, and they're going to have to. Most why likely, can't they re- relocate them? They don't have the funds for that. Well, they every time they try, they the bear comes right back. You can put them miles away, helicopter them away, and they come back. Okay, I have these squirrel traps, and in the last seven days, I have captured right. fifteen squirrels, two rats, and a skunk. Ooh, and yeah. a skunk. Yeah, the 15 squirrels, I drive about four miles away across a road and across a river gully. So it's a, it's a different watershed. And are they sitting in the the car there with you looking at you like, where are we going? What's going on? No, it's in the back of my truck. So right. just, I oh, keep yeah. them in the cage until I release them. And I, I release them all, thinking they're the same family. I release them all in this, by the same oh, huge grove nice of, of oak trees. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you're transplanting rats, though. That's very kind of you, dude. Well, I, I wouldn't do it except they're digging under my foundation and the squirrels are digging under my deck and, and uh, they're compromising my structure. So, I, I, you know, I'm not going to kill them. I'm going to trap them and release them. If you would like to try relocating our bears up here, you're welcome to do that. So you come on up and... Uh... We, you could build a better bear trap, and then you could drive them somewhere, Dave. But I am afraid that this one is going to have to die after a while. We'll see what happens, man. Right. That's so sad. There are so many locales in the lower 48 that have bears. I mean, the entire Georgia and the East Coast and the Appalachian Mountains. I mean, there are black bears all over all over the floor 48. Actually, I'd love to see their range. I have read that uh, the bears in Appalachia, like in Pennsylvania, are actually bigger than our Alaskan black bears. Right. But I, I hear that they make some pretty good moonshine, too. The bears do? <laughs> what? Anyways, all right. Um, well, yeah. Speaking of Appalachia, our guest today, he is a geologic knowledgeable wonder. So he's from the east. It's actually from the southeast. He's from Georgia and... It's the South, right? Are you going to get all Southern on us here, man? Not, uh, maybe right now I will, but, but not, no. not later. <laughs> uh, but wait, did you know, I did some research. Did you know that there are four geologic sections in Georgia? I do. I, I've done some research, too. As you know, we try to sound yeah. knowledgeable when we have our, yeah. our guests on. And uh, I think we can ask our guests about that today. Well, I'll tell you before we talk. Oh, okay. Cover it right now. Yeah, yeah. There's four uh, geologic kind of areas in Georgia. The Appalachia Plateau, the Blue Ridge, the Piedmont, and Coastal Plain. Now, Appalachia Plateau is pretty much Ordovician, 440 million years ago. I say Ordovician. I've got the T-shirt on today. They are Ordovician. With trilobites, too. You know, from my years of Spanish, I just always turn... I's into E sounds, so you're, sorry. You're an international guy, so yeah, so yeah. cool. Go uh, ahead. The Blue Ridge, the Blue Ridge geologic area is mostly metamorphic, and they found gold in 1828 there. Whoa, really? Gold! So much gold, they started a mint in Georgia. Hmm. Yeah, Didn't know that. that was one of the places they had a Georgia mint. You've done your uh, research. The Piedmont, Piedmont is igneous and metamorphic about 250, 350 million years ago, but it's also sedimentary that was metamorphosized into a big 
Ketchikan, Alaska-like, gluey. It's been cooked. It's, it's been baked. It's, it's been, cooked. been yeah, cooked. Baked. So not And then so there's fossilized. the coastal plain, yeah. which is Cretaceous to Holocene, so it spans the whole age of mammals. There are a lot of cool fossils found in that area, and there's a few I want to ask our guests about in yeah. particular. So, so what do you say we call them? Let's call them up. We're going to call, should All we right. reveal who we're calling? <laughs> we, we why, haven't is always, why do you always make it sound like it's a secret? Well, I guess they know by now. They tuned in. We're going to call Cam Muskelly down in Georgia. Georgia on my mind. Let's call Cam, man. Okay. Hey, Dave, meet Cameron Muskelly, paleontologist and a geologist from Georgia. Cam is a science writer, a fossil hunter, a tweeter, and a YouTuber with a big social media following. And Cam, it is so very cool to finally meet you. We've been Facebook pals for a while, and I've been seeing you wearing a paleo nerd shirt. And uh, really good to meet you. And meet meet this dude here. This is David Strassman. Hey, nice Cam. To meet you. Hey, nice to meet you too. Uh, yeah. I've seen your talks and uh, your videos and i've dove into your blog page it's awesome dude but the question is are you a paleo nerd <laughs> you gosh darn tootin i'm a paleo nerd <laughs> <laughs> yeah i thought i was the type specimen for paleo nerd dim but i think uh, you pretty you pretty well uh you know live up to that too my friend and it's so very cool to meet you and you have a really interesting background that you come from but i know that you were a dinosaur kid just like me. Where, yeah. where did How did it, it all start? Where did it all start for you, Kim? Oh, boy. Yes, indeed. I was, I still am a dinosaur guy. I love yeah, dinosaurs. So I. <laughs> <laughs> I love dinosaurs all my life. Um, I can't remember a time where I wasn't interested in dinosaurs and all prehistoric animals. Um, I remember getting books and getting toys uh, as a kid. Um, I remember my mom's coworker actually gave me a stuffed triceratops in oh, one of those man. zoo books. And it had, like, I think it was, I can't remember the paleo artist's name. It may have been last name Hallett, Mark Hallett. Oh, yeah, Mark um, Hallett. Yeah, he's an yeah. incredible artist. Yeah. Oregon. He, he lives in Oregon. Yes, yes. And uh, he had, the, the picture was of a tyrannosaur, and there was a uh, pteranodon flying over. And I remember getting that as a zoo book because uh, of my interest in dinosaurs and when that actually happened, I just began to delve so deep into the world of dinosaurs. Um, I was known as the dinosaur kid in class. <laughs> so <laughs> my nickname in school was Dinosaur Boy through elementary school, through like parts of high school. So yeah, it but it's better, than, it's better than being called, you know, weirdo. <laughs> I mean, we technically we were weirdos because I was yeah, really yeah, I was the only say, it's kind of maybe goes a little hand in hand, but but there was a <laughs> I, I've seen some of your talks. You mentioned something that happened when you were you were in second grade, and if you are on your best behavior, you got to go over to the third grade classes with Miss Davis or something like that. Is that yes, a, yes? What's that story? Um, so yes, it's, um, I was in the second grade, and everybody knew I was interested in fossils and dinosaurs. Um, even my, you know, I brought dinosaur toys to school. I brought dinosaur books to class. You were the dino kid. Yeah. I was the dinosaur kid. If there was reading time, I would be sitting there reading a dinosaur book. <laughs> no doubt about it. I checked out every single dinosaur book in my, in my library. Yeah. If I was on my good behavior, which I typically was, if I was on my good behavior, I would go down to that class and there was a teacher by the name of Miss Davis. Okay. She had a personal fossil collection. And oh. she also had an interest in dinosaurs and knew that I was really interested in dinosaurs. And uh, I would go and look at some of her fossils in her fossil collection. 
And in it, she had an incredible array of fossils. She had fossil crinoids. In fact, that was the first fossil that I was introduced to were crinoids. And if anybody doesn't know what a crinoid is, it's an echinoderm. They're related to uh, starfish and they live mm -hmm. on a stalk. They're still living today, but they're not as... They call them sea lilies, and for the longest time, I stupidly thought they were plants, but they're not. They're living... Yeah, they're living animals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Is it a group of animals, or is it one animal? Uh, it's a group of animals. Right, uh, I believe right. the class is called crinoidae. Yeah. Um, right. But yeah, she gave me a crinoid stem, and that was my first fossil that I got. But the fossil that stuck out to me the most, because she had plant fossils, she even had dinosaur poop. Whoa! <laughs> and I, yeah, copper light. And I would even trick my uh, the teachers that I had to tell her to hold this rock. And then I would trick her and say it was uh, and it's a it's an, you know, fake rock, but it's actually dinosaur dung. And I could see the disgust <laughs> on her face. But I, <laughs> I was a seven-year-old kid. I was like, oh, this is so cool. Um, <laughs> I like that. But the fossil that stuck out to me the most was a trilobite. It was unlike anything that I've ever seen before. I mean, they look so different from like the plant fossils or the fossil shells that she had in her collection. And I was just so, that that's what really triggered my interest in, in, in regards to fossils, because I've never seen fossils before. I've only read them about them in books. I've only seen them with paleontologists on National Geographic or Discovery Channel digging them up. But I've never actually got to see or hold an actual fossil until that day. And was this trilobite local, like from the Appalachian Plateau, or was oh, it? Oh no, this is this was from Morocco. This is a oh, right, Morocco right. trilobite. We all have trilobites <laughs> from Morocco. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually just got reconnected with her a couple months ago, and she gave me that trilobite that started my interest. Oh, no nice. way! Nice, really? so very I've nice. Got it, so I've got it right That's here. That's it. Ah, there you go. That's a Moroccan wow. one. Yeah. Wow. Cam, that's so cool because trilobites are my kind of spirit fossil animal too. I've got one tattooed here on my arm, you know. So. As do I. <laughs> oh, you did? Really? Oh, I we're going to get a screenshot of that. Yeah, yeah we'll I... do a screenshot of you guys' but uh, mine has, tattoos. Mine has flames <laughs> because, you know, everything looks cooler with flames, man. So, But Cam, you were diagnosed at age eight with ASD the, as being on the autism spectrum, but I've heard you talk about this before as you talk openly about it, but it, it kind of helped you like focus on stuff in a way and maybe over focus or. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I was diagnosed with uh, autism spectrum disorder at the age of eight. And yeah, I, I because of this, it allowed me to dive deeper into the world of geology and paleontology because people on the autism spectrum are typically highly focused on one particular topic mm. or even more topics in general. Um, I know people who are super interested in space. Um, I know people who are super interested in cars and things of that nature. Right, right. And my interest just happened to be paleontology and geology. And so I used paleontology and geology as an anchor, as a coping mechanism, because people who are on the autism spectrum typically get bullied a lot. And mm. I was that type of person who got bullied severely. And but I used paleontology and geology to weigh that out, and it worked. <laughs> yeah. Did being on the spectrum help you remember dates and 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 nomenclature, or how, how did it help you as far as I mean, you you have to learn and know a lot. There's yeah. a lot of data to to take in to mm -hmm. understand what uh, the ages are and the periods are, and and so how did it, how do you think it was not a deficit, but it helped you? It's it's hard to really explain because we, for us, really don't have an explanation on why we're able to remember what we remember. 
You know, it's just something that we love and we focus a lot of our time on. And we just, so I began to really remember to memorize the geological time scale. I want to say at like maybe 10 or 11. Wow. And I began to write mineral formulas at like around 12 or 13. So the chemical really? formulas of minerals and yeah, and start to, to write them down and remember the chemistry of some of the minerals that I was um, collecting. Wow. I remember you saying in one of your interviews that, and there are a lot of, uh, you know, interviews with you on online that one can find, and they're always really compelling, and, the, and your talks that you give on Paleo 101, but you said the rocks didn't make fun of you, you know? And I thought, man, that's 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 really cool, you know? Yeah. That it was a way for you to go to this kind of happy place, if you will, you know? Exactly. And, and it's still my happy place till this day. And it will always be my happy place. Yeah. If, you know, if I'm feeling sad or if I'm feeling alone or depressed, the rocks are there to keep me company. I watched yeah. a video of you finding a giant oyster. Yes. I was, <laughs> yeah. I was out there in uh, Tupelo, Mississippi, in the Demopolis Chalk Formation, which is a late Cretaceous deposit. Um, it's Campanian, so that's roughly about 76 to 77 million years old or so. And the Demopolis Chalk is an incredible deposit. It's in Mississippi and it's in Alabama. Is that the edge of the Inland Sea? Um, it's actually a little bit more closer to the Appalachian side. So it's a oh. little bit in eastern part of North America. Um, it was the result of the Western Interior Seaway, but it's a little bit um, to the east of the actual seaway. Right, but it was formed by the eastern edge of the Western Interior western, Seaway? Yes, from the Western right, Interior right. Seaway. And all the way to Mississippi. Yeah, wow. all the way to Mississippi. And um, there's been various different um, deposits that have occurred in that particular time, but the Demopolis Chalk is an important formation because it actually has dinosaur fossils. And uh, oh. I wasn't lucky enough to find dinosaurs, sadly, but I will say I'm going to be seeing the holotype specimens of some of those Alabamian dinosaurs um, Alabamian dinosaurs. <laughs> so let me um, ask you this: Are those? We're diving. We're going paleo now. <laughs> so, uh, so we're in the Cretaceous. It's Western Interior Seaway stuff. You guys are on the uh, eastern edge of that Interior Seaway in the Cretaceous. Is are those dinosaurs that are found in Alabama and scraps of dinosaurs? I guess also from Georgia. Are they bloat and float uh, fossils found in the marine formations? I love yes, that. Yes, 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 they are. Yes, they are. Um, we don't have any terrestrial rocks that have dinosaur fossils within them. And so all the rocks that are found in the eastern part of the United States happen to be marine deposits or lag deposits. And so all the dinosaur fossils that you'll typically find are in marine sediments. And so it makes it very difficult to find nearly complete skeletons like there is in Western North America. But the dinosaurs here in Appalachia, the dinosaurs here are very poorly studied. And so I and a couple of other paleontologists are working on um, finding new dinosaurs and actually understanding what the environment was like on their deposition on how these animals uh, well, cool. were found. Wow. So are you are you finding articulated bits or are these are they in concretions or, or where do you, how does one yeah. find a dinosaur in the east? And where and where in Georgia? What uh, what sediment are they in? What formations are they in? Good question. So the dinosaurs that are found here in Georgia are, again, of course, in, in marine deposits, but there are some formations that hold dinosaur fossils. Um, there's one formation called the uh, Blufftown Formation, and this is in South Georgia. So the rocks that are close to North Georgia are a little bit older from the Paleozoic. And then there's a middle part called the Piedmont region that has igneous and metamorphic rocks, and you're not going to find dinosaurs and fossils in any one of those. 
And so when you go south Georgia to where the coastal plains are, there's a place called Columbus in Stewart County, Georgia. And that's where a lot of the Cretaceous sediments lie. Um, a lot of those are from 70 to 80 million years old. And the dinosaur Perfect. fossils that are found are disarticulated remains of tyrannosaurs. We really? have We have ornithomimids. Um, we have pieces of raptor dinosaurs. And so these were all bloat and flow carcasses that settled down and became fossilized. So let me ask you this. There must be a lot of mosasaurs and plesiosaurs and Cretaceous fishes in that stuff too, right? Oh, yes. Yes, there is. Yeah. Um, now, Georgia doesn't have a complete um, mosasaur or plesiosaur. You have to go to North Al You have to go to Alabama to go there right. to find that stuff. But um, we do have plesiosaur teeth. We have mosasaur teeth and mosasaur remains. And yeah. so a lot of that stuff is here. You know, a lot of these animals, possibly even Tylosaurus, existed here. And Tylosaurus is one of the largest known marine mosasaurs. Yeah, it's, it's a big one. You know, my favorite one, uh, Cam, is the one that's found from Alabama is Globodems. Ooh, I yeah, you know like that, that one? one. Hey, oh, tell yeah. David, tell Ted, yeah, why, tell why me is that about cool, Ted? Yeah, yeah. Ooh, yeah, Globodins is, uh, it's it's uh, a really interesting mosasaur. The dentition is very different. So these animals were going after different prey. So a typical mosasaur mouth is going to have those sharp dagger-like teeth. A Globodin's mouth has these rounded-like teeth for crushing clams. Yeah, it's they're like anything I've ever seen like a, before. They have softballs. Like well, like no, 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 no. They're almost like little uh, little golf balls or whatever for teeth, right? Yeah. For if you think, of, if think, think of a Hershey's kiss. Think of like that kind of structure of a, right. of a Hershey kiss. How it's very round at the bottom, <laughs> but instead of a Hershey kiss having a little, you know, a little point to it, think of it as just a little small knob. At the very right. top. Well, Ray, do you remember the uh, the nut eating fish in the Amazon that you you looked in their yeah. mouth? It looked like they had a bunch of human molars because right the they, they crush yeah. yeah they crush nuts. So yeah, are there remains of are there oyster shells? There would be any evidence of you know them eating their last meal and dying. Um, I haven't seen that, but I, I right. don't doubt that there is evidence of yeah. that. You might find uh, a critter or two with uh, stomach contents in it if you're right. lucky. But, but hey, getting back just a little bit to some of uh, the story, is it, there was a big turn for you as you went into high school, Ray, junior high school. I talk about rocks. I know. <laughs> I, we'll get there. We, okay. we actually, we, we do get there because... Okay, good. Dave you ask I, your question. I've got a Georgia question after Dave this. Dave and I have this dynamic going. I like to get into the personal story, and then he wants to talk rocks, but... I love your personal story, and you and I share a couple of things, actually, uh, in, we have in common. Oh, we both right. are recipients of the Ruth Palmer Paleontology Award. You Cameron Muskelly and Ray Troll, winners. Well, we're in, but you got the P, from PRI, which is a very cool thing. You're the current one. I got mine in 2015. But we also know, and uh, I think uh, both dearly love Tony Martin and Ruth Showalter, right? And yes, yes. Who are they? they so, are some Tony, perfect tell us about you running into Tony and, and Ruth. Who are they? And tell, and tell us. Them. Yeah. So, uh, Tony is a ecnologist, and that's a paleontologist who studies trace fossils. Oh. And he lives in the Atlanta area, and Ruth Shewalter is his wife, and she goes on, so, and she's an artist, actually. And uh, I actually met Tony when I was in high school. In fact, Tony Martin was actually my very first paleontologist that I actually met. I was, I think I was, high school was a minute. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I've only graduated. Well, you're, 20, you're 23 now, right? Or 22? Yeah, I'm 23 now. It's only right. been four years, so I should be able to remember. But I was in the 10th, I believe I was in the 10th grade or the 11th grade when I met Tony Martin. 
And uh, I actually uh, met him at the Fernbank Museum of Natural History. Um, it's in Atlanta, Georgia. And I messaged him on Facebook. I'm like, hey, is it, is it okay if I come with your class? Because he, he teaches, he's an uh, environmental professor at Emory University. And I was his Emory student for about a day. And that was a lot of fun. <laughs> That's cool. And so uh, we, we, uh, I was strolled around the Fernbank Museum looking at the dinosaur skeletons. And I was kind of his, uh, his um, d dinosaur dictionary on talking about dinosaurs with Tony. And um, we were talking about sauropods. We were talking about Argentinian dinosaurs, trace fossils, looking at the ground. Because the cool thing about the Fernbank Museum is their floors are completely, their floor tiles are completely made of Solohofen limestone. Oh, that's cool. Solenhofen is where the Ar Archaeopteryx was found in Germany. Yes. So mm -hmm. it's also a limestone quarry, and you yeah. can actually pave it. But but uh, you're also doing a thing. So the Fernbank has been real pivotal in your life as well. You're doing Cam's Fossil Jam there, right? Yes, I, I'm doing Cam's Fossil Jam at the Fernbank Science Center, which is connected with the schools and the Fernbank Museum. Um, I used to go in there um, about maybe two or three Saturdays a month during the summer, take fossils, some of my personal fossil collection. I switch it up from rocks, from minerals, from fossils, um, because there's things about the Atlanta area that really people need to know about the geology. It's super important. And a lot of people really don't know what's here in the state. Yeah. And I like to bring that and talk to other people about that. been doing the the uh you were doing the fossil jam uh actually in person at the firm bank uh science center there you haven't been able to do that since the pandemic but you're a team member of time scavengers and i was yes. trying to figure out what is time scavengers are they associated with the firm bank what is what uh, no time scavengers is actually made by two invertebrate paleontologists um one from umass her name is dr adrian lamb and she i think is a micro paleontologist doing ocean I think it's oceanography or something like that um if if she watches she's gonna kill me because i don't know what she does <laughs> but i but i know she does 4ams i know she does 4am stuff and um and there's another paleontologist she is now a collections manager or assistant collections manager at in michigan of invertebrate paleontology her name is dr jennifer bauer and um she works on invertebrate fossils so she does things like blastoids which are which are also echinoderms as well so she works on the systematics and um, the taxonomy of blastoids, and I Wait, thought that's so. Wait, what really is cool. a blastoid? Sounds cool. It's not a Star Wars thing. Um, <laughs> I, I think I think of it as like so. There's a there's a there's a Pokemon character called Blastoise. So right. um, I was like I like to make that comparison, even though they don't they're not even related. But right. I like to I, I like to be I'm, I like to be a nerd. So <laughs> with the uh, time scavengers, so these two paleontologists they ask you to be part of the team, and so what do you guys do with time scavengers? Is that an so, online thing or what? Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, so it's an online blog. So we talk about everything okay. from research, um, from what it is like being a scientist. We want people to actually, you know, this is what a scientist is. It's not just some old dude, you know, with a lab coat with beakers. This is what a scientist looks like in the representation of what a scientist looks like. Um, we talk about everything from basic concepts of paleontology, geology. We touch on evolution. We touch on climate change. And so this is a particular blog that teachers and other people can use 
for their uh for their classrooms and other things like that. It's sort of a it's an, an educational blog. Yeah, that's cool. Wow, and you're part of that. Great. Yes, and I and I've been and I've been talking about some of the things that I've been doing from field work, from educational resources and things like that. How do people find you, Cam? Do they just hear about you via social media? And I'm, I'm social here. media has been really important to <laughs> well, you. Well, we'll have links on our, we'll have links That's on cool. Cam's page for all his social media links. So I want to talk rocks. Can I all talk right, rocks? All right, all right, we'll get so to rocks. So, Cam, you, you're in Georgia. There, what part of Georgia are you in? I'm in Gwinnett County. Okay, where's Gwinnett? So Gwinnett is North Georgia. Okay, so, so it's close. It's, it's Metro Atlanta. Okay, all right. So, can you describe what Georgia? look like in the Cambrian and what it looked like at the end of the Cretaceous. Oh, yes. take us from the Cambrian to the Cretaceous. All right. Yeah. Yeah, I can take you through the Cambrian all the way through just the entire geological time scale. Yeah, because yes. uh, in the Cambrian, it was, it was part of the supercontinent. North America was. Yes, yes. Uh, Laurentia is, is the name. But with the four different geologic zones in Georgia, well, I don't know. You tell me. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's so it really depends on where you are. So in Atlanta during the Cambrian period, um, we don't have any fossils. A lot of the Cambrian sediments are actually in the Appalachian Plateau region in the Valley of the Ridge, and that consists of shales and sandstones and limestones that got deposited during the Cambrian. And around the Atlanta area, it's mainly archipelagos and volcanic arches that existed during the Cambrian that eventually became um, the building blocks of Atlanta. And so the fossils that we particularly find in the Cambrian, the oldest ones are known as archaeocyathids. And I love those creatures. They're super cool. They are the oldest fossils in Georgia, and they are date back to about 516 million years old. And so if anyone doesn't know what an archaeocyathid is, I don't. should. It's super <laughs> I don't. cool. <laughs> Enlighten us. All right. Why? And, what are they? <laughs> so archaeocyathids are actually, it's a debate between geologists, and they think that they're probably sponges or corals. Um, they're, they're sponges to the fact that they have a vase-like structure, but some sponges have spicules in them, which are like the skeletal um, makeup, but these uh, sponges don't have spicules at all. And so um, it's leading paleontologists to debate whether these are actually corals or whether these are sponges. But so the, the word archaeo means old, so it's yes. the first, it's kind of the first evidence of this type of uh, organism. Yes, yes. It, it, it's uh, some of the oldest fossils we have here in the state. And they actually come from a rock unit called the Shady Dolomite. And, uh... <laughs> I know that guy, Shady Dolomite. So are, they, are, uh, are stromatolites related to, or uh, no? No, Stromatolite. stromatolites are algae mats. Where do they fit in? They're a little bit different. Um, they are algae. But speaking about stromatolites, Georgia has Cambrian stromatolites. Really? Um, I was able to actually look at Georgia's stromatolites. I've never seen a Georgia stromatolite before until I actually gone into the collections and actually saw the, the laminations of that algae buildup. And it was absolutely cool um, to actually see that. And I've seen the thin sections of where um, people cut a thin section of the stromatolite. And you can perfectly see the lineations of where the algae left that met over 500 million years ago. Yeah, very um, cool. So we also have a great abundance of that, but we also have trilobites. <gasps> and um, so yes. we have, uh, I saw Ray, he, he's, uh, <laughs> he's up and he's up and at him there when I mentioned trilobites. <laughs> trilobites? It's my middle name. <laughs> so where, where in Georgia and how old and, and uh, what kind are they? So the trilobites that we have here date back from about 505 
to about 497 million years old. So that goes back from the middle Cambrian all the way to the upper portion of the Cambrian, transitioning into the uh, early Ordovician. And so the trilobites that I was actually able to find were in soft shale, and they actually consist of soft body remains. And really? The cool yeah, thing, cool. And the cool thing about Georgia is we have a Burgess Shale-type preservation here. Really? Which, yes. Oh, a Lagerstatten. Yes. We have a formation called the Conasaga Shale, which runs through Tennessee, Alabama, and Georgia. And we have an abundance of soft body remains. So we have similar preserved Burgess Shale-type fauna in Georgia to the stuff that's found in Canada. Wait, so you've got like Opabinia and... Uh... Creature uh, anomalocaris and those sort of critters, jellies or what? No, <laughs> no, no. He's saying it's that it's that type of preservation, but oh. it's much later. It's late. It's late Cambrian to or- Ordovician. Yeah, it's yeah, it's middle to late Cambrian to Ordovician. Now, um, oh, they, we do have um, similar type fossils like Noria, which is a um, a arthropod that is also found in the Burgess Shale. We have similar brachiopods, if not the same brachiopods, that are found in the Burgess Shell that we find here in Georgia. And But my plan is to find an anomalous carrot. And there is possible anomalous carrot pieces out Ooh, there. Oh, nice. And nice. we just really haven't found evidence of that. I think there's some uh, anomalous carrot bits that have been found in Nevada, maybe, but uh, I, I might be mistaken there. But let me ask you about this. You found a Cambrian trilobite in Georgia. Aphalaspis butsy? Or is yes. it butsi? No, it's but kind of it's fun to say. Am I saying that right? Butsy? Butsi? Yeah, yeah, you're saying butsy. You're saying that right. Butsy. I like that. So Who named you, that? What is it? You found one, right? It was rare. Um, I found it in the northeastern section of the Kanosagish Formation. And the cool thing about this trilobite is me and another paleontologist, his name is Bill Montante, and he and I rediscovered that species. And so it's it has it's been known from the 1940s but it hasn't it hasn't been in that particular location since then so what do you mean you rediscovered it so it had been known about it and then they yeah, lost the specimens it's been, or it's something been, the specimens been known about it but in that particular location it hasn't been known to have been found i see i see so you reached out to your trilobite connection and and they confirmed it Yep, and they confirmed it, yes. And the, the specimen cool. right now is at the museum collections. It's at the Teller's Museum in Cartersville. So it actually did not go into your personal collection. You knew it was scientifically important, so it's in a, a public collection. Yes, yes. It was in my personal collection for a while, but I just recently donated along with some other fossils that I needed to donate to the uh, paleontologist there. Very cool, very Brilliant. cool. So we've only made it to the beginning of the Ordovician, and we still have uh, all the way to the Holocene. Oh, boy. Yeah. Georgia is then on the coast. It's on the coast of... Uh... Pangaea. Yeah, it was on the, the outer ridge of Pangaea um, during the Carboniferous, the Pennsylvanian period, all the way to the Permian. In North America, the Carboniferous is broken down into two pieces. So you've got the lower portion of the Carboniferous, which is called the Mississippian, and then you've and got the Pennsylvanian. The Pennsylvanian, exactly. And then we have a pretty good abundance of fossils there. Um, we have, in, in Georgia, um, the Mississippian brought lots and lots of cherts and limestones during that time. And it brought a wealth of fossils as well. Um, I was just in Rome, Georgia, um, which is in north, northwest Georgia, um, close to the Tennessee-Georgia borderline. And I was with a paleontologist there from the University of um, West Georgia. 
and he and I, we went out to a couple of uh, Mississippi and Rock units, and we collected brachiopods, we collected fossil sponges. But my new research with two other paleontologists is a really important discovery for Georgia. And he found a shark tooth, uh, one of these early shark teeth. And so I'm working with um, Dr. Ryan Shell. You yep. got my interest there. So it's this is a Mississippi, it's Pennsylvanian or? Uh, it's it's Mississippian, yes. So it's, uh, can you give me a hint as to what, this this is new science. This sounds interesting to me. Yes, yeah, so, uh, we don't exactly know the exact shark tooth, like exactly what the genus it belonged to, but we do know it's from a tinacanth shark. Okay, tinacanth. Yes. And they're they're very cool prehistoric sharks and they got very big, some of them and, uh, but yeah, that's that's cool, man. Wow. And I'm and I'm working with one of your people that you interview, Dr. John Paul Hoddit. I was gonna so. say you should talk to <laughs> JP, but I know that everybody's talking to everybody on the web and so JP's the guy, Hodnet, yeah. Yeah, I'm currently cool. working on a uh recent paper with him um on another shark species that we need to go out and publish. And actually it's actually my cool. it's actually going to be my first published scientific paper once it gets published. Wow. Oh, wow. At That's age very cool. 23. That's awesome. So, uh, you know what? You're the youngest paleontologist we've had on Paleo Nerds. So, <laughs> congratulations, Cam. Oh, I'm getting kind of old. I'm a fossil myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm the fossil in the room. I, I'm the boomer. I'm the boomer. Hey, you, uh, geologist, can you tell me is chert basically, it, it, it fractures conchoidally, usually, like mm -hmm. obsidian does or glass. And uh, is it? based on is it organic material that is metamorphosized how is what is the composition of chert is it silica what what is it yes yes it is it is quartz it is silica now there is some organic components to some chert not not all chert are going to be or made organically okay. some of them can be made um through uh, chemical processes deep below the earth's surface um some of them can be in veins um can be in hot water veins and hot fluids um, but some of the organic charts that you typically find are going to be composed of these uh, silicious ooze from the spicules of sponges. Really? So, yes. So some, so you can actually find some charts today and take a thin section and even dissolve it possibly, and you'll find um, spicules, the, the skeletal remains of uh, sponges. And so that's so cool. Yeah. Silicious ooze or so. Yeah, it's fun to say. Okay, but but wait, but you so you memorized a lot of these uh chemical compositions. Why does chert fracture conchoidally? What's conchoidally? What's that? What's conchoidally? What's that? Oh, if you ever um napping a an arrowhead when you uh, take a shirt or flint or obsidian and you break the edges, it mm -hmm. it fractures in a curve like a chip, okay. and that's called conchoidal fractures. Okay. Yep, and it, it make and it makes great arrowheads. A lot of the arrowheads that you see are made Archer. of shirt or obsidian. Yeah. So it's hmm. the, the reason why that is is because of the antinomical buildup, the 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 actual atoms that make up the quartz itself. And typically, when you have maybe a, a hard mineral like quartz, um, it'll separate that atomic bond, and you'll get a break because of how those atoms are arranged within the quartz. Oh, right. So the curve, the breakage that's a curve or a scoop out is based on the chemical bonds of that particular mineral. Yeah, it is based on the chemical bonds or how strong those atoms are 
inside of that mineral. That's cool. That's so cool. I didn't know huh. that. Interesting. Hey, well, rather than going age by age through uh, all the cool fossils from Georgia, mm-hmm. what are the coolest fossils from Georgia? What is <laughs> what's what are, what what are the highlights of uh, Georgia's fossil record for you? Well, for me, um, I mainly study Paleozoic fossils, so I mainly mm-hmm. study fossils from about five hundred and five to two hundred million years old. And so I, I really haven't gone and collected fossils from the Eocene or the Cenozoic or the Cretaceous. Um, I mainly stay to the northwest side of Georgia because it's easier to get access to. And it's just what I'm really into. Um, I'm really That's into cool. crazy, cool invertebrate fossils because we have so much mm. of the Paleozoic here. But it's ju- it's just super hard to understand because how the geology is set up. You know, you'll typically go to South Georgia and you can find, you know, Cretaceous oysters or you can find sand dollars. But you're going to be finding some of the oldest known records of life that's found here in Georgia if you go up to the northwestern side of it. And so you'll find things like plant fossils. I've been able to actually go out and collect plants, fossil ferns from um, coal mines that are from there. The Pale- from the Paleozoic, huh? From, yeah, from the, from the Paleozoic, from the, um, from the Pennsylvania. And I was up there wow. last year. And I was able to collect uh, some plant material. And I've even found a lepidodendron um, pieces out there, which are these giant um, trees. lycopod trees. Yeah. yeah. Lycopod I, have a, tree. I have a question that's going to be very simple about coal mines. So is coal, is it layer upon layer of swampy black muck you see? Or is it layer upon layer of dead forest? Is, 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 there a, is there kind of a swampy muck to its composition? Because... If I'm not mistaken, John McPhee once wrote, the transmutated remains of plant and animals, if it's not cooked enough, it becomes coal. If it's cooked too much, it becomes shale. And if it's just the right temperature and it has to be very fine marine organisms, it becomes oil. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it really depends on where that depositional environment is. So a lot of the coals that's found in, in eastern North America typically are composed of delta sediments and so a lot of those swamps and those forests actually occur on the edges of those delta sediments and so when those trees and those plants die they get buried and they get buried even more over time they actually turn into the peat and they turn into the lignite and and coal and and things like that right right how thick are the can the seams be in north america the coal seams they can be they can be hundreds of meters thick alabama has probably some of the thickest deposits of coal in eastern North America. That's 300, so three, four, five hundred feet thick. And, and how, how many years does that represent? A, a 300 meter seam? Uh, that could represent over maybe a couple thousand years. So think of every time that sediment or millions that, or thousands? Thousands? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Just, some, yeah. Sometimes thousands of years, even probably millions of years. Every, every mm. thick, every, every like foot that you go into the sediment represents over a thousand years. And so every time that adds up, that gets into a million years. Thousand years. Is wow, that's really fun. cool. So let me ask you this, Cam. For the so the Paleozoic is what really uh, gets you you going up there in the northern part of Georgia. <laughs> but uh, there's a really great Pleistocene record. There's a lot of uh, Pleistocene mammals, Ice Age mammals found in Georgia. But I think one of the outstanding creatures from Georgia for me, being kind of a vertebrate bias kind of guy, is. <laughs> Georgia Cetus. Oh yes, I'm happy you mentioned that. that. Sounds yes. like a whale. Georgia a Cetus. Whale? Georgia Cetus is one very cool creature, and I'm just amazed that like 
why aren't there big t-shirts and displays of it? T- turn us on to Georgia Sea to turn this guy on to it. So yeah, Georgia Sea, this is a cool fossil. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see the actual specimen or the, the cast skeleton. I'm hoping to get to see it one day. But yeah, Georgia Sea, this is super amazing. It, it's a four-legged whale that was mm-hmm. found in uh, Burke, I think Burke County. And that's in the, the South, the South Georgia. And, um, yeah, they've got the, the, the weird snout that you'll see in typical archaeocete whales, but it has these, these limbs still from walking. So this is a transitional animal. And a lot of people don't know about it as much as like Basilosaurus or, you know, uh, Dorodon or things of that. Things yeah. Of that I, I think that's what's so astounding because this is the walking whale from the United States Beautiful fossils, from what I understand. We always associate it with, like, you know, Pakistan and India, those deposits over Does there. Does it have but... any of the uh, marine, you know, or adaptations to for water, like webbed toes or it's got a blow basal hole. tail? It's got a blowhole. It's got a blowhole. What? what? It's yeah. got four legs and a blowhole? Yes. Okay. Okay, that blows me away. Is there any transitional fossil that shows nostrils migrating from the front of a mammal? Or well, they were ungulates, right? Mm-hmm. For the front of the nose to to migrating all the way to the top where the blowhole is. Ooh, that's a good question. I do not know enough anything about whales. Yeah, we right. can we we have some marine mammal folks we could talk to, but I'm we pretty will. sure there you can watch those nostrils migrate. Move. Yeah, I know you interviewed Dr. Robert Bosenecker, um, who I yeah, got yeah. To we already had Bobby. Yeah. Yeah, so he definitely can answer that question for you. Yeah, so Georgia see this, but are, there are a lot of Pleistocene stuff, or is there? Uh... Yeah, yeah, there's definitely Pleistocene stuff. And uh, one thing about Georgia see this: the state fossil of Georgia is a shark's tooth. They need to replace the shark tooth with Georgia see this. <laughs> like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> so megalodon teeth are found along the Georgia coast too, right? Yes, yes, I have a few megalodon teeth, though I didn't find any. <laughs> Ray is one of the largest in the world. Yeah, right that, yeah, that's a real nice one. Yeah, megal- here, yeah, we do have megalodon teeth. Since since I'm, I'm going to test you here, and we could do a screenshot of this if you want, Dave. But what is this? Looks like a camera. Looks mammoth like a mammoth tooth. mammoth tooth. I I'm beat you asking. to it. All right. Come on, okay. you're not going to out Cam Cam here. <laughs> this guy's got a photographic so you, memory. So when you're doing your fossil, show it up gen- anyway. Show it up, and we'll do a screenshot. Every right. smile. Five, All four, right. three, two, Ray, one. Hold is- it close there. Five, four, three, two. Yep. So, actually, I had a friend who found this in Kansas. It's a Colombian mammoth, and they didn't know what it was. And they said, we found these, and they're out in Grandpa's shed. And I went, oh, my God, those are mammoth teeth. And they were like, what? And you must have that experience when you do your fossil jam. People must bring fossils to you, and, you know, you must blow their minds with, well, or you break their hearts. Have you had those experiences? Um. I've had some experiences. Um, I know there were some people who thought that some of their rocks were possibly dinosaur fossils. And I'm like, oh, well, you found, if you found it in Atlanta, chances are it's not a dinosaur fossil. I'm sorry. To I was that hard. kid. I love dinosaurs <laughs> so much. Every rock was a dinosaur bone. But, yeah. you know, there's a there's a, a Facebook group called uh, Fossil Rock and Identification. And so many guys post nothing. And they say, <laughs> how much is it worth? And the guy... <laughs> Sorry, dude. That's a rock. That's a concretion. Let me tell you, I'm like, if you if you see me on there, I'm like, I'm like, oh my god. I I've actually left a lot of these groups because it's just they don't yeah. post when you when you actually want a fossil to get identified, 
you need to post location. Location is like one yeah. of the most important things out there. And then a banana or a, or a ruler yeah. next to it. Scale. Scale is also important. I know a lot of geologists have been getting on me about scales, and I haven't forgotten scale since. You know, I even put myself <laughs> as a scale. Yeah. <laughs> so if you want to post a fossil, you need to have the location of where it's found, preferably one of those centimeter uh, ruler strips next to it. Yes. Yeah. And if there's color in it, a color bar. Yeah, in a color bar. You know, I, I know people may not have exact location, but try to get as detailed as possible. Yeah. And yeah. what I tell people is try to understand the geology of where you are. Because if you're trying to find a dinosaur fossil and you're in rocks that don't have any fossils in them at all, right. it, yeah. it's going to be difficult yeah. to, to try yeah. to identify something like that. So I, I really try to hammer on knowing a lot about the geology of where you are, right. find a geological map, right. go to a geological survey if there is one. Air tour, go to a museum and talk to a geologist that, that they have on staff and, and say, hey, I, I really want to know what the geology is around me. And so understanding the rocks and where they are is going to help you identify the various fossils that you may find out there. Rule number one is go to where they are. Yes. So, yeah, and then you may find yeah. them. On our website, we have a link to, on paleoners.com, we have a link to Macrostat, which shows the geologic sediment below your feet anywhere in the world anywhere in the world and when you click on it it will show you not only the name of the formation but all the research papers associated with oh wow that. yeah it's called and we also Macrostat. we also have a link to uh mancos the app on your phone that you can use the yeah. geology at your fingertips I, I just want to ask you ask the magic question ray well no I, a little broader question here just at first um, actually, speaking of, of uh, being having scale bars, when I Google your name, Cam, I come across some interesting things. You were once used as a scale bar for Megalodon. Yes. Yes, that was, that was really cool. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Cam versus Megalodon. That, that's kind of a, you were used as a skill. Like, here's, here's Cam and here's Megalodon. How did that come to be? Um, yeah, there was, there was a paleontologist from British Columbia who reached out to me. She's like, Hey, I want to use you as a scale bar for Megalodon. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> well, that brings me to the question is that. Well, wait, wait, was it a giant uh, museum exhibit or just a job? It was an online the, thing. It, yeah, it was an online oh, right. thing. I've actually got to see a reconstruction of Megalodon when I was out there in uh, Gainesville, Florida, and I went to their, one of their museums. Super amazing. It's a cool image, though, online that she ended up using. So there's Megalodon about to eat Cam. So right. it's oh, right cool. there. But. Just, you know, in terms of social media, you started using social media early on, and that was your way to connect with fellow fossil nerds like ourselves. And you've had a pretty positive experience with, with social media, right? I mean, it's it's really helped you get your, your interest yeah. out there. and it's helped me not only get my interest out there, but if I really didn't have the connection of social media, I probably wouldn't have gone to my first scientific conference presenting yeah, yeah. at GSA. Um, I probably would not be starting on writing my first scientific papers. So social media has really been an incredible experience for me because as a kid, there weren't a lot of people that I could go to who had an interest in paleontology. I had a teacher back um, back in the day. His name was Mr. Cormier, who was an earth science teacher back in my middle school. And he and I, we would go and talk about rocks and I would sometimes skip class. In fact, the teacher would allow me to skip their class to go into my earth science teacher and talk about rocks. He and a couple of maybe other people were really the only people that I had who had an interest in geology. Yeah, finding doing it, um, creating a social media account back in, let's say, 2013, 
was really, really cool. And I got to, you know, connect with like Tom Holtz and James Kirkland and the, some of the quote unquote OGs in vertebrate paleontology. <laughs> no, that's, that's, I think, you know, social media gets a bad rap, you know, quite a bit, but uh, I think it really, there's a lot of positive things about it in this network of people and paleontology. And, and that's how I came to notice you right. is via social media. And then when I saw that you had a paleo nerd t-shirt, it's like, <laughs> we got to talk to this guy. He is yeah, he is uh, one cool guy. But all right, I'm going to ask you the question, man. Here it comes. You you maybe you listened to a few, so you know this is coming. So Cameron, if you could go back in time, if you could pick your epic epoch, your favorite paleo period, the most awesome age of all time, when would you want to go back to, and what would you want to see? Okay, that's a really good question. You knew it was coming. You have to, come on, <laughs> come on. You get Ooh. to go back. I know what you think I'm going to say. You think I'm probably going to say the Cambrian. Well, surprise me. I'm going to say the Yordavishan. <gasps> Wait, I've got that well, shirt on. Oh, yeah, you got yeah. The, I almost forgot. Okay. You've got well, the that's, shirt on. That's, is, is that the age when trilobites totally diversified? Well, why? Why would? what would you want to see and why? Um, so, yeah, trilobites start their diversification in the Cambrian, but we start to see some crazy, wacky groups in the Yordavishan. I really wanted to see those big, giant orthocone cephalopods. Oh, yeah. Oh. I really want to see those giant things. I mean, some of them can get about several feet long. We have the giant squid today, but it's like, we don't have really anything that big with like a hard shell. This was, they were like 30 feet, some of them, size of big yeah. logs. Yeah, some yeah. of them were like 30 feet. And um, I really want to, like, there's so a... These were, cr these were ice cream cone squids. Basically, yes. these are ammonites. No, wait, they, were they ammonites? Ammonoids, the, I would say. Ammonoids with the ice cream cone shells. Um, they weren't exactly ammonoids, but they were they were very similar. Um, Correct me, dude. <laughs> so. But we don't have much evidence of the soft-bodied parts of ammonites and encephalopods from back then, right? There was actually there was just a paper published like a couple of what days or weeks uh, ago. Yeah, the ammonite without the shell. The shell, yeah, yeah. But, but but didn't tell us if there was tentacles or not, or, or you know. Yeah arms but but the thing about these giant ordovician um uh cephalopods were that they're 30 feet long the orthocones do you imagine how do you imagine them are they upright in the water column are they um, i kind of i kind of remember of like a, a submarine because they had that that very thin um i think it's called the siphuncle yeah, yeah. Um, yeah where you, where you have where you have those gases and that would in help between for in between the sections yes that actually helped for buoyancy, and those were probably animals that were, of course, like a lot of cephalopods were swimming backwards. And so that, that, that particular feature really helped ammonoids and cephalopods be able to float in the water. And so I think finding those large cephalopod shells and imagining something as big as yeah. uh, it's an it's absolutely incredible. now do you want to swim with it catch it or eat it for calamari Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> calamari sounds pretty good right now i'm not gonna lie <laughs> i'm kind of hungry really it's hungry. lunchtime <laughs> here it's lunchtime here in, in alaska well cool man that's that's a good vision i like that I, I, would, I would probably swim with them i mean i wouldn't go too close because they're super vicious So I'm going to ask my question here. Um, 
I'm, I'm impressed by how young you are and how much you've done. Congratulations. So my question is, what advice can you give to kids out there in, in middle school or in, in high school that have the same dreams that you had and maybe not the same opportunities, although you seem to have really taken advantage of, of everything that you, you could, going to the library and, and doing what you could. For me, it was reading books on magic. That's, that's what I, I went through, every single book on magic in the library, uh, and you did dinosaurs. So what advice would you give to someone who uh, wants to become a paleontologist, but they're still in uh, primary education? Yeah, that's a good question. For me, um, growing up, I didn't have a lot of those opportunities. I found every single opportunity I could um, in regards to try to get my foot in the door with paleontology. And so I, the thing that I would probably say is reach out to people, um, reach out to professors or even the paleontologists out there. I, uh, before I had a social media, I would like write letters to paleontologists. I wrote a letter to Jack Horner um, a long time ago. Now Jack and I are friends and he knows me, but um, I, I reached out to a lot of paleontologists through via email and trying to say, hey, I really want to be, I really want to be a paleontologist, but I'm not exactly sure. And paleontologists are willing to talk to you. I know there's there's plenty of people who are like, oh, I love answering emails from kids and, and even adults who really want to try to get their foot in the door with paleontology. So taking the initiative and emailing those particular scientists is one thing that I would say is is important to do. Another thing that I would do is read, read a lot. Don't just read about dinosaurs, read about biology, read about genetics, because a lot of that is all connected to paleontology. For me, I taught myself how to identify rocks. I taught myself a lot of the chemical formulas. And so being, being out there and trying to identify rocks and fossils, being able to go out in the field is all super important. And again, reach out, like I said, reach out to scientists. I am going to be starting my first paleontology internship in just a few weeks with the museum, with the um, Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Oh. And, um, I, and I'm really excited about that. And the reason how I got that internship was reaching, was going to my first scientific conference. Right. And, well, that's, and, that's basically don't be shy. That's great advice. Don't be shy. And, and there's emails and there's yeah. websites. Find those people and ask the question. Don't be shy. Yeah, reach and, out, make the connections, yeah. Yeah, and even if you are shy, you know, try, try to step outside your comfort zone because you never know where these people are going to take you in your future career. Yeah, that's so. really cool. That's good advice, man. That's really good advice. Do you have plans to go? I mean, you're out of high school. Or are you plan on going to college at some point? Or Yes. You're already yes. doing paleontology. You're already doing scientific papers, but you, you hope to yeah, do the I, whole I, traditional route? Yes. For, for me, I, I struggle a lot because I'm on the autism spectrum. I struggle a lot with, I have major dyscalculia. So um, I have a what really hard, it's a hard problem with like math and numbers and things like that. Oh. And, and I have slight dyslexia. And, but that, that's something that I'm working on overcoming and helping to push through to get myself into college. Um, one, of the, one of the colleges that I really want to go to is the University of West Georgia. I'm already good friends with the professor of geology there. His name is Dr. Brad DeLine, and he's the one who found that shark's tooth that I'm working on that I'm eventually going to be writing a scientific paper on. But that's one of the colleges that I that I aspire to go to, to study geology and eventually get my bachelor's degree in geology and then work further into becoming a professional paleontologist. Yeah, that's cool. You know, I mean, just speaking, you you wrote to uh, Jack Corner, and uh, he's now you've been emailing with him. 
and he overcame a lot with his dyslexia and it was pretty inspirational that he hung in there and uh you know he got that but Cameron, you really are, you're an inspiring guy. So it's its yeah. great knowing uh, that you're out there doing what you're doing. And it's its a real honor to have you on the show. And it's a real yeah. honor to see you rocking a Paleo Nerds t-shirt. Absolutely. <laughs> I've got, I've got, I'm t- actually taking this from my internship. So I'm using this out in the field. So you're going to be right, seeing cool. pictures of me out in the field with great. this. <laughs> hey, Cameron, it's been so much fun having you on the show. Thank you for joining us in it. Um, let's stay in touch. Absolutely. It's been great. Thank you so much, Cam. And uh, we'll see you out there in the field and wear that Paleo Nerd shirt. Absolutely. Yeah. You know it. Okay. Well, he holds the record of being the youngest and probably the most eloquent paleontologist we've had on our show. Very fun interview, man. And uh, I haven't steered you wrong yet, have I? <laughs> Cam was very cool, very inspirational, and uh, it's great getting his story. And uh, he but you is know, so we're young. talking to him. Yeah. He, he don't, you don't seem like you're talking to a 23 year old. You seem like you're talking to someone who's been around for 20 years. You know. Yeah, yeah. No, he's he out nerded us. I think. <laughs> yeah, totally. nerded me. I no, dude. Anybody with one year of college out nerds us. <laughs> Wait, I've got many oh. years of college. Oh. How many do you have, Dave? Dude, we don't talk about uh, that. Not really any. No, I have one year of liberal arts and then one year of acting school in New York, which was an accredited school. You used to busk on the streets of New York. And I made tons of money, dude. Tons of really? money. Really? Yeah. Wow. 1977, I was making $500 a week in nickels, dimes, and quarters. Just busking on the street? Yeah. Doing my show on the street, uh, which would be equivalent to about three, four $4,000 a week today. Wow. Well, you know, if this whole thing doesn't work out, you should just go back and be doing that. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end this by just saying I knew at the age of 20 that if there was ever a nuclear holocaust, yeah. I could be I could be busking in the bomb shelters <laughs> for food. <laughs> well, was this you and Chuck? Was this your old yeah, buddy Chuck? Me and the puppet. Me and the puppet. Yeah. So that's is that technically busking? Because busking is usually thought of as uh, mu- music and uh... no, busking means performing on the street, and yeah. it's pretty much that's an English word. Oh, so wow. Go. So, anyways, you started out there, uh, and look at you now. And here you uh, go. I want. I want to talk about our, no, just, our no. interview with Ken. I know. We just. We you just. Always... I just brought it back to what you were doing <laughs> and the things that you went through. Cam has yeah, gone through yeah. a lot, but he's also had a lot of opportunities. And you know, like I said uh, in the in the interview, social media has got a lot of bad raps, but it's also connected connected people from all over the world. Sure, and uh, sure. that's how I know how I know Cam, and it's also how I came across you know Sam Gunn from our last. Well, you season. just turned me on to myfossil.org, which is a, a place I never knew about, and that is an amazing resource and you can connect with fellow paleontologists and there's people there that will identify your fossil i mean real right. real paleontologists to identify your fossil but and i i found out about that via fossil friday oh cool all, all right. right well awesome uh and how's the weather where you're signing off where are you signing off from today signing off from my usual spot man catch a can alaska where actually there's a little ball of sun that's supposed to show up on my magic phone it shows me that this evening and we get like three days of it so oh, cool. i'm excited it stopped raining the bear cool. garbage has been picked up my wife picked it up she was kind enough to do that this morning I'm signing off from beautiful Ojai, California, where my Ecobee smart thermometer, which is attached to the internet, okay. cannot get the weather right. Some would say just step outside, Dave, and look around. <laughs> Jesus. Step outside and wet your finger. Yeah. All right, All right. dude. 
Well, you have a good one. I'll see you next week. We have an amazing guest next week. You know what we got? Oh, we got exciting guests. It's a paleo nerd. I think you're right. There are more and more. There are more and more of us every day. See you, buddy. Peace out, dude. Bye. Thanks for being a paleo nerd. Help us spread the word of science. Rate us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can even email your questions and comments to nerds at paleonerds.com. Did you know each episode is paired with pictures and links? Check out paleonerds.com for photographic evidence that everyone here has been a paleo nerd for a long, long time.